What's up, freaks? Vibes are high in Austin. Great bit devs last night, hosted by the team at Unchained Capital. Great time meeting the freaks. Shout out to you, freaks, if I met you last night. It was very enjoyable. I love meeting freaks. Love hanging out with Bitcoiners. Bullish on Bitcoiners. Bullish on this episode. It was an in-person episode. First in-person episode in quite a while, in some months. And uh, there's just something about an in-person rep that... It makes the heart grow fonder for in-person rips all the time. Sat down with Chris Stewart and Ben Carman from the Short Bits team. Talked about everything, DLCs, speedy trial, cows, more cow talk, more cattle talk, more farming talk. A lot of things. Enjoy it. This was brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App will you stack sets, send sets, receive sets, sell sets. If you so please, if you so please, don't recommend it, but if you so please, not invest by device. You can do that on the Cash App. You can DCA in the sets. You can buy daily, weekly, bi-weekly. If you so please, set it and forget it. Highly recommended. Not but financial advice. Uh, you can get sats back with their boost program. Yeah, you, you initiate a Bitcoin sats back boost. You go spend money wherever visas accepted and you get sats back it's pretty beautiful when it's available uh what else do we have what else do we have yeah we're saying sats because we're, we're changing we're changing it we're, we're helping to shift unit buys people aren't buying fractions of bitcoin they're buying whole sats it feels better it feels stronger it makes you feel more like a man stacking whole sats and you can do it on the cash app cash app can be your bank account too they're offering account numbers and routing numbers you can get your paychecks direct deposited into the app stack sats easier if you haven't done so already, go to your local app store, download the Cash App, and use the code StackingSats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. <laughs> Owls Lacrosse. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Hoddle Hoddle. Hoddle Hoddle. Guess what, U.S. citizens? You can interact with their Lend product. Lend.hodlhodl.com is here for you freaks that are looking to get liquidity with your Bitcoin, but you don't want to sell your Bitcoin. You want that tax burden. You don't want to give up your sats. Uh, you want to keep your sats, but you need liquidity. You go to lend.hodlhodl.com. No KYC. No AML. You're not sharing any, inf- any information. You're leveraging Bitcoin's native multi-sig properties. Uh, you're putting your, your Bitcoin in a multi-sig wallet. You have one key. Hoddle Hoddle has one. Your counterparty has another. Uh, and you can always see that your sats are locked up in that in that escrow. So you know it's not being really hypothecated. You know that if you're going to be paying back that loan that you're taking out in the form of stable coins, you're going to put Bitcoin down as collateral, you get stable coins return. You can do with them what you will. You can always see that your Bitcoin's there. So they're not doing anything. As long as you're paying back that loan, you're going to get your Bitcoin back. It's a beautiful thing. Again, no KYC, no AML. You access a global uh, liquidity market anonymously. It's a beautiful thing. Leveraging Bitcoin's native pro- multi-sig properties. Also, if you have stable coins laying around, you want to get some return on those, you can you can go on the other side of that order book and put your stable coins up for people that are looking not to sell their Bitcoin and need some uh, USD liquidity in the form of stable coins. You can get a, re- a little yield on that. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. That's lend.hodlhodl.com. Check all this out. This trip was also brought to you by our good friends at Compass Mining. Compass Mining is really trying to simplify the game, especially for individuals who want to get into Bitcoin mining, but they don't want to pay the high electricity costs that come with their homes. You don't want to be paying 
14, 20 cents a kilowatt hour. It's pretty high in residential areas in the U.S. at least. But still, some people have to pay them. You don't want to pay 10 cents. You don't want to pay 12 cents. Compass Mining and lining up deals with co-hosting facilities with competitive power rates. And they're also helping you acquire miners. So you go to compassmining.io. You pick a miner. You purchase a miner. Compass acquires that miner for you. Then you go, you pick a hosting facility, uh, you decide which one you like. They're going to put up the power power cost. You pick a hosting facility, you buy a miner. Compass gets it for you. They plug it in. Your miner starts producing hashes. Those hashes get sent to a, a mining pool, and you get paid out for the commensurate amount of hash rate that you're providing that mining pool, and you get paid out in sats. It's a beautiful thing to your wallet. Compass Mining is making this as easy as possible for individuals. So if you want to check it out, go to compassmining.io. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot I-O. Check it out. Last but not least, while you're mining, if you have the the ability to pick a certain mining model that is compatible with Brains OS Plus firmware, you should be like, hey, can we make sure we're running Brains on this, the Compass Mining team? Brains is also helping sponsor this podcast. They're good friends. They're good Bitcoiners. They're good software engineers. They're good. To re- they're all around good people. Right? Brains has been around for quite a while. Uh, they are the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in uh, the Bitcoin world. It was the first ever mo- mining pool. Pretty beautiful thing. Uh, they've been Bitcoiners, staunch Bitcoiners, protecting Bitcoin, stewarding Bitcoin, trying to provide tools and products to Bitcoiners to make sure that they can stack more sats that is uh, materialized in their Brains OS Plus firmware, which I've already mentioned, uh, that's available for S9, S17, and T17 models right now, and they're working on what's minor models as well. Basically what their firmware does, you download it, and it helps you stack more sats. I'll just make it as simple as that. Uh, On top of that, they're working on Stratum V2, uh, which is a decentralized mining pool protocol. Uh, they're working on that in c- conjunction with Matt Corallo and Square Crypto. Uh, again, let's let's name some of the things they've done in the past. They they discovered uh, Amplied and found a way to provide the Brains OS Plus firmware to the market, so that they had an option that wasn't the the manufacturer firmware. And at the time, Bitmain was backdooring their firmware, so that was very good for Bitcoiners. Uh, they they enabled overt ASIC boost for their miners for their for their firmware, so they're thinking again stack more sats they're doing beautiful things they're creating good content too, educational content around mining they've got mining profitability tools so go to brains that's b-r-a-i-i-n-s-b-r-a-i-i-n-s.com check all this out beautiful team beautiful team beautiful world beautiful time to be alive freaks bullish on bitcoiners bullish on life you got to be optimistic you got to be optimistic things seem a little crazy right now getting like inflation it's coming it's here People are freaking out. Do I get the vaccine? Do I wear my mask? Do I tell my family that it stuff sort of creeps me out a little bit? I know some of you freaks are having these questions right now. I am too. <sighs> you know what? We have Bitcoin. Focus on Bitcoin. Start building. It's the beauty of Bitcoin. It's an open source protocol that anybody can contribute to and start building around. Start building on. Start making it a shelling point of society. We're doing it, freaks. It's happening. It's happening. It's a beautiful thing. It's going to keep happening.
Love all y'all. Enjoy this rip. Tiki. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What's up, boys? What's up? Nothing much with me. It's good to have you guys in town. <laughs> What's it feel like everybody invading Austin? It's good. I mean, I've lived here for a year, and now I'm an OG, which is, <laughs> which is funny. But, uh, yeah, it's good to have everyone here, especially this week. We have 175 RSVPs for the meetup. For the BitDevs meetup. I was talking to Will Cole yesterday. He doesn't think we were going to be able to fit anybody, everybody in the office. Yeah, in our... Uh, in our group chat for the meetup, uh, Phil Geiger said, we have vertical space if we need to. So, you know, go get on shoulders or something. <laughs> it's going to be a lesson in scaling. <laughs> I mean, you go. Marty, from your time in New York, uh, what was the biggest uh, BitDevs turnout you saw up there? Because, I mean, this has got to be pushing. I mean, if, you know, of course, I'm sure not everybody will show up. But uh, what's the biggest BitDevs New York you saw? <sighs> During consensus weeks, we get pretty packed. During bull runs, they get pretty packed. I think 200 yeah, oh, wow. at one point. So you guys have like a lecture hall, so. Yeah, at NYU. Uh, it's beautiful to see what's going on down here. I love it. I'm, well, I've been here since Monday. Chris literally just flew in uh, yeah. from Chicago, I'm assuming. Yeah, flew in from Chicago, landed at uh, 1130 and podcasting by 130. So, and got a meal in between there, so some efficiency oh, wow. in there. What did you eat? Uh, got some uh, enchiladas, uh, brisket enchiladas, which were phenomenal. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I met uh, Ryan Gentry at the taco joint yesterday uh, and went back for more today. That's what I had for lunch, some taco joint. Good tacos down here. I'm loving Austin. Am I going to move down here, Ben? Should I move down here? Hell fucking yeah, you should. <laughs> Everyone should. I've been trying to get convince this guy to move down here, too. Every every week, he's like, man, I'm jealous. You guys can go outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, it's two different worlds in America right now. That's for sure. Uh, I guess maybe it was like this beforehand, but it seems even more apparent now when you come to places like Austin, uh, from places like Chicago, um, Chicago is starting to open up a little bit more, but, uh, you know, you guys are still light years ahead of, how's the COVID cowboy doing? COVID cowboy? In Chicago. Oh, (laughs) he got canceled. Uh, (laughs) Um, if we're talking about the same, are you talking about the... Talking to the mic a little closer. Oh, he got canceled. Uh, if you're talking about the guy that was like riding horses like through the streets. Yeah, didn't he mess up the horses? Yeah, clubs? it's a very sad thing. Um, he didn't understand you need to put horseshoes on a horse. Otherwise, their hooves uh, will be worn down running on hard uh, surfaces like concrete. And he was you know riding them all over. He was like riding them down an interstate at one point, like maybe fleeing from the cops or something like that. And then course in her wisdom i think Lori lightfoot uh deputized him to be like the covid ambassador for chicago and then you know he gets arrested three months later for 
you know, inhumane treatment of animals. So yeah, they, um, they had to euthanize the horse, didn't they? Yeah, I, I don't know about that. Uh, I thought I heard, you know, it went to the farm, but sometimes that's a euphemism. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to the farm in heaven. Yeah, <laughs> rest in peace. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Chicago is Chicago. Uh, it has a lot of other big city problems, and we'll see as Austin grows if you know which way it goes. Is it going to embrace that more kind of? The, the statewide ethos in Texas, or is the the uh, the the people that are moving here going to affect the culture in such a way that it just becomes San Francisco in central? Yeah, like I feel like I need central. to move to Texas to help save Texas, right? From the onslaught. I li- uh, I like to think we have some resiliency, or like you know, if like because a lot of people like you're leaving SF, it's like okay, I'm going to Austin, Denver, or like Seattle, Portland, and a lot of people like you know they hear like. Austin, Texas, like, oh, Texas, though, like, ooh, that's where all those cowboys are. I don't want to live there. So we kind of have that resiliency where people don't want to come here. But, I mean, you can still see a ton of blue-haired chicks here. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> so, like, just, again, like, uh, the people listening, I've been here for two hours. I did see one cowboy hat, cowboy boots. He looked like a honest-to-God cowboy. So I was encouraged by that. Me and my uh, girlfriend were taking bets how long it was going to take to see somebody like that. So uh, um, that was refreshing. To was it at the airport? No, it was it was actually just walking up and down. I think it was like Fifth Street, maybe. I, I don't know the streets, but yeah. Yeah, we got in Monday afternoon <clears throat> at noon. Didn't get our Airbnb till three, so we had to go to lunch downtown. And I saw like the most Texas dude ever. He was like a lawyer wearing suspenders, and he had one of those beards that was like curling up on the oh, sides, yeah. the mustache that curled up. I was like, oh, sir, I, I declare. <laughs> That's well, awesome. The, the nice thing about Austin, I, I mean, you know, I hope this is like, you know, what I would plan for it in my mind is like it becomes a little bit more allows the tech industry to say have like a different sort of culture associated with it than like the dominant East Coast, West Coast, super liberal like cultures that you see throughout basically the entire tech industry. And like Bitcoin's like actually interesting, I think, in this regard, because there is some um differing viewpoints uh, within the community itself. Whereas I feel like in the broader tech ecosystem there, re- I mean, really it's like a monoculture of, um, you know, like kind of like West coast values, I guess you'd say. Yeah. I mean, we had a prime example of this this morning on Twitter. I mean, obviously the, the Bitcoin carnivores are a huge uh, demographic within the Bitcoin space, but the vegans love Bitcoin as well. The official vegan account was a, uh, Ship posting and, and responding to Chris Dixon about the Coinbase IPO. Yeah, I saw that. They're like woke. They're like fuck Coinbase. Use River and Swan. I was like, <laughs> oh hell yeah. <laughs> uh, I know there is like vegan. Like I think Matt Carallo at one point was a vegan. And I think he still is. Yeah, is, is he? Uh, yeah, there's whenever, a fair amount of Bitcoin vegans. Whenever I get lunch at Matt, I, we have to pick a vegan restaurant. It's yeah. Like, yeah. With, with like the cultural stuff, it's like again, I don't want to like shove you know other differing views out but it's just like let's have both sides of the spectrum instead of like just being totally dominated by like these like again like west coast uh kind of san francisco values that you see yeah completely detached from reality in middle america they hate middle america they do i mean i actually do kind of believe that as someone that has traveled frequently to the coast from middle america you always get it's like same thing as southern people encounter frankly is like you know if somebody has like a southern draw usually you kind of have those stereotypes come up in your mind. It's like dumb, stupid Southerner. And like you, you, know, you kind of get those um, condescending views. Or maybe it's all in your head. I don't know. Like, I guess you can argue that too. But uh, yeah, it's good that uh, there's differing viewpoints within a 
industry as important as Bitcoin. And hopefully we can you know, get that out into the rest of the tech industry. I agree. Now, as somebody who's lived in the Northeast, in the Midwest, and the Southern part of the country, it's beautiful how, how there's different types of people in different parts of the country. That's what makes us strong. It's uh, I, I hope Texas doesn't get bastardized by by San Francisco moving into Austin. I don't think it will. Like, Austin, or Texas has a ton of other cities, and Austin's just one. Still got Dallas and Houston to keep us sane. So, and I guess if you do like, you don't have the Texas viewpoint, you can always move to Portland. <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> go to Portland instead. They're uh, are they trying to throw the cops out in Portland? Is I'm that not there, so not my problem yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Well, that was fun culture talk. Culture talk to start off this this rep. Boy, is this my first in person interview? I haven't even done one with Matt since Bitblock Boom. I don't think. This is the first in. Imp- oh wait, no, we did uh, Arbed out. Yeah, that's gonna on Christmas around Christmas. So it's, it's been about since Christmas since we about did a four months an in person interview. Feels good. Feels right. Thanks for coming to the Airbnb, by the way. No problem. Anytime. Thanks for coming last again. Like Chris was on a flight. He was like, uh, I DM'd him literally as you were sitting down. I imagine. Yeah, no, I was on the like they were pushing the plane back, and I was like, I was again like today is the Coinbase IPO day for some reference, and I was like looking through Twitter, being like, okay, what's going on with that, and. uh trying to see what's happening. And then I saw your DM pop up. I'm like, ah, heck, why not? If my girlfriend doesn't kill me, of course. So, Yeah, Mar- Marty's DM to me was, hopefully Chris buys Wi-Fi on the plane so we can figure out a time. <laughs> <laughs> Chris did not buy Wi-Fi on no, the plane. No, I, I mean, think. planes are great hacking times. It's like you're just uh, away from everybody. You got an outlet. You got your laptop and uh, just working on some DLC uh, infrastructure stuff uh, behind the scenes so uh, well thank you for provi- providing a perfect segue into the yeah. dlc conversation what were you hacking on particularly yeah so um so uh, for those that don't know i guess i think it's been since january or maybe december since i've been on anyway um we've uh, released a product called the oracle explorer um it's a way to find oracles for your dlcs uh, for those that don't remember uh, DLC stands for discrete log contract. It's a way to do uh, bets on Bitcoin, derivatives on Bitcoin, any sort of uh, speculation you want to do, you can do it with DLCs. However, you do need an Oracle to attest to the thing that you want to speculate on. So this can be a football game, basketball game, etc. And um, so we've released a product called the Oracle Explorer at oracle.shirtbits.com to aggregate these oracles so people can find existing ones for their bets um, the next step in this kind of infrastructure is allowing people to find popular contracts that uh, other users are doing uh, on the Bitcoin blockchain and allow them to, you know, customize it in just a little you know, way, such as maybe you want to put more money in the contract or less Bitcoin in the contract and then, uh, you know, keep all the rest of the, um, the parameters. And uh, this is kind of coming out of something that's in the, contemporary uh, news, I guess, between a bet between uh, American Hoddle and Peter McCormick, and maybe uh, Ben wants to Ben's the, the deets Oracle. on that. Or are you the Oracle? Or are you, uh, no, you're not the Oracle, but you're setting up the contract, aren't you? Yeah, I think Chris or Sherdvitz will be the Oracle, yeah. but yeah, that asshole made a bet without us knowing and was like, you guys are going to need something Peter McCormick ready. And we're like, well, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, for the last like few days, I've been grinding on the GUI trying to make it pretty. 
and we've made some good progress. I sent Chris a video of what I got so far, and it's it's pretty decent now. But what's what's the the bet itself? Oh, the bet is um, if Bitcoin hits 300k by end of year, or by the ball drop on in New York, and um, for a Bitcoin, and if it does, Hodl gets it. If it doesn't, Peter McCormick gets it. So they're locking up 100 million cents, and winner winner gets all. Yep. Yeah. $300,000, HODL wins. Less than that, Peter wins. And it just has to, like, wick up. Like, it doesn't matter the day of. It's just, like, if it does at all during the year. Oh, okay. So, so it's an intraday wick. Yeah. No no daily close or anything like that? Yeah, you can get Just it. at any point in time, if it breaks $300,000 on Coinbase, uh, American HODL wins. And uh, if by January 1st, 2022... Uh, the Coinbase Bitcoin price did not exceed $300,000. Peter McCormick would win this one Bitcoin. And um, kind of, you know, circling back to the tooling um, aspect of this is if other people wanted to enter into this bet, say not just Peter and American HODL, but maybe me and Banner, other Twitter users that are following Peter and American HODL, you know, we're working on infrastructure to make that easy to do at least on the contract front so you can like clone their contract almost like you clone a github repo or copy it and uh, you know maybe you don't want to bet a half a bitcoin on this or a whole bitcoin on this but maybe you just want to do 50,000 sats or 100,000 sats and uh, you know, do a little bit smaller of a bet but you can say I'm in I'm in it with you American hodl I think bitcoin's going over 300k or the inverse of that is, you know, I, I like Peter McCormick and his lavish lifestyle and uh, think he's going to, you know, win this bet. So, uh, um, yeah, just uh, trying to facilitate that is the tooling we've been working on. I don't know if this is uncouth to ask you, ask you guys since you're playing the Oracle, but, like, whose side are you on? I think Hollis going to win. You do? By a long shot. But uh, You think we're going to hit 300K this year? We're going to hit 500K at the end of the year, and then Parker's going to buy me a steak. So <laughs> that's my prediction. <laughs> well, you know, like s- some other like tooling we can possibly put around this stuff is like, you know, the implied volatility that's needed to, uh, you know, get to 300K from uh, the, you know, spot price we're at right now, which is like 62, 63, some- somewhere in there. And, uh, you know, put live odds on there it'd be really fun to you know make this as social as possible with the tooling and uh you know allow people to share and follow the bet and uh, that's something in the dlc ecosystem now that we're getting a little bit more on more solid foundations on the protocol level we can start you know building a little bit higher in the stack and uh feel more confident that the you know ground isn't going to change out from underneath of us when you say protocol level, are you talking about the Bitcoin protocol or the software that you guys are building particularly? Uh, like the DLC protocol. Like we're kind yeah. of at the point where like Lightning was in like early 2018 where like there's like four nodes on the network and like, you know, there's, you know, just kind of a Lightning network, but, you know, it's all command lined and uh, not easy to use. And ideally we'd like to get to like where Lightning is today where you can download Breeze on your phone and, uh, you know, just scan a QR code and go. But yeah, we're like, we're getting like most of the initial protocols like mostly done or at least we know what we need to fix which will you know probably be done probably like by summer or like end of summer hopefully i don't know yeah i mean one of the big pieces of work that just got in is uh something that uh, jesse posner and uh, lloyd fournier have been working on for quite some time which is uh these things called ecdsa adapter signatures mm-hmm. and uh you know technical buzzword out there for everybody but um this is the 
cryptographic tool we are using to power DLCs. Um, in previous iterations, we were kind of, you know, we had something working. It was good enough for proof of concepts and demos, but we would prefer if, you know, some lower level um, C and cryptography experts uh, vetted this stuff and made sure that it makes sense. And uh, so Jesse Posner uh, did a lot of legwork on that. And just recently, uh, within the last week or two, uh, that actually got merged into uh, the SecP256K1 ZKP library and is now like maintained like all the other features in SecP. So uh, that, that was a big milestone for us. Now, uh, for all the library developers out there or wallet developers out there, they can hook in and get access to these cryptographic uh, tools that they need to be able to support DLCs in their own wallets rather than you know, having to use the Sherdbits wallet or the uh, Crypto Garage wallet. Uh, we, we really want to hopefully get DLCs supported in every wallet so that you, know, you don't have to have 15 different wallets where one you know, supports you know, with this one feature you want, another one supports another feature, try and uh, consolidate that stuff. So hopefully that increases adoption of discrete log contracts as well. I'm very excited about all this. Like you just mentioned, uh, the ECDSA adapter signatures, how how much developer attention uh, has has been dedicated to this recently? Is it growing? I guess that's the question I'm trying to make. Like, are you guys seeing people come help there's, you build this out? There's a lot. Like, Lloyd wrote the paper on it when, like, 2019. Yeah, and some somewhere in there. Yeah, and uh, they made, like, an initial, like, you know, just proof of concept, like, branch that we were working on for, like, the last while. And then um, they officially, like, started working on, like, the current spec that just got merged probably for the last, like, six to eight months. And, uh, yeah, now, like, that PR, like, it got reviewed by, like, Andrew Polsha, like, you know, uh, Real or Random, like, Nick Jonas and Nick, like, tons of, like, you know, really good cryptographers in the Bitcoin space. So it's really cool. Now we have, like, this really well-fleshed-out, highly-reviewed uh, thing done. And um, so now we can actually use this and get other people to start using it and... It's really nice to see. Yeah. So what happens if Taproot gets activated? Then we get to do this all over again and start <laughs> using Schnorr signatures instead. <laughs> so you say you can't prepare for that or it doesn't? So like uh, um, the ECDSA adapter signatures were needed because Bitcoin didn't support Taproot and you know, trying to build things around when a consensus feature in Bitcoin is going to activate is risky business, to say the least. Um, going back to what Ben was mentioning with the Lightning teams in the 2017-2018 era, they needed SegWit. So they were predicating business models around, okay, when is this SegWit feature activated? And we all know how uh, dramatic that was. So um, really, we were looking for, can we do this without having to wait for uh, you know, Taproot and Schnorr to get activated and ECDSA adapter signatures were a venue to uh, do that. So now, I mean, I guess Ben is following the Taproot stuff a lot closer than I am, but we aren't like hard blocked on uh, Taproot activation to, uh, you know, keep DLCs moving forward. And, um, you know, also you know, other blockchains that may not have Schnorr or Taproot for whatever reason, you know, they can use ECDSA adapter signatures if they want on their respective chains. So, um, 
yeah, it, it's it's one of those things that it just is really tough to update the Bitcoin protocol, and that's not a knock, but it just is. Um, and you know, guessing when that's going to be is not a very fun game. Yeah, and even if if and when it does get activated, it's going to take time for all that stuff to get implemented in wallets and stuff like that. Correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you know, if Taproot was activated tomorrow, like we'd have to spec all the new stuff out to use Taproot, and then you know, write that code, verify it, and you know, get it deployed. And you know, not, probably a lot of wallets can't even send the Taproot like once it's activated. So there'll be a lot of time before we can actually start using it. Yeah. All right, Taproot coin flip. You're you're a coin flip fan. I've I've been going back and forth. I slept on it, didn't like it. And then we did rabbit hole recap last week, and you were in you were in the comments saying the coin flip's good. Yeah, I think I, don't know, I think a lot of like it's like honestly, it has a terrible headline. Like trillion dollar network decides <laughs> you know consensus decision <laughs> over a coin flip. Yeah, so break it down for the folks yeah. out there who aren't aware of the the whole situation. So like tap reactivation has been it's been a journey this uh this this week or this this year. So I know we originally started out with uh, BIP8 versus BIP9, and then most people are like, let's use BIP8, which is uh, basically just using block height versus um, you know like real world time that's determined when we're starting our activation period. And then um, then we didn't even decide, do we want to lock in on timeout, true or false? So do we want to force a UASF at the end of this thing? And um, if you don't know, that caused a huge schism in the entire dev community where it was like split maybe like. 50 50 sometimes 75 25 and like basically just everyone arguing arguing you know and then saying like you're going to cause a chain split no you're going to cause a chain split and it you know lots of emotions going on and stuff so then someone proposed a speedy trial which is a uh, different way where just like a three-month activation and um so it'll fail quickly we can you know then we can figure out if it, if it doesn't work then we can figure out something else but more than likely, Taproot's going to activate really quickly. Like, everyone supports Taproot. Most softworks besides Segway activated in the first three months anyway. So, more than likely, that will work. And then, um, the final part of Speedy Trial was figuring out, you know, do we want to use block height or real world time to determine our activation period? And then, more bike shedding again, where everyone's arguing, like, you know, the super super edge cases that are possible for these things. And um, basically, uh, I think Jamie Rubin proposed it. He was like. You know, we're all just bike shedding. Why don't we just flip a coin? Like, honestly, like, like, like we did like a poll, like, you know, who, like, who would be okay with either? And like 90% of people are like, yeah, I'm fine with either. It's just we're bike shedding here. So we did a coin flip. Um, real world time or medium time passed one. So now um, you know, Andrew Chow closed his pull request for block height. And it looks like, like, um, speedy trial is like happening in like two weeks now. Boss. So um, the proposed activation start time is. April 24th, and then, um, so the following difficulty adjustment period would be the beginning of activation, so let's see that, like, you know, in two weeks or something. Let's go. So, yeah, it's, it's happening now. Like, we finally did it, it seems. <laughs> well, let's talk about the actual coin flip, too, because I thought it was really cool. You used the Bitcoin protocol to, yeah, to basically like, initiate a coin flip. Yeah, there was, like, a, I forget what block height it was, but some block, it was, like, you know, in 20 blocks, we're going to, you know, to see if the last bit is zero, one. If it's zero, we use, you know, real world time. If it's one, we use block height. And, you know, it was zero, so we did it. And, like, it was nice. If we had, like, a basically fair way to do it, you know, maybe the miner threw away a block because they wanted block height instead of, you know, or, you know, but I don't think that happened. <laughs> yeah. What a crazy world. Is this a bad precedent to set? 
I was arguing with Shinobi about this. He thinks it's a terrible precedent to set, but I don't know. I think well, what what's his argument? If basically, we sh like you know, for a trillion dollar network, we shouldn't decide uh, protocol decisions on coin flips, which is probably a good idea. But I think like the way I see it, like speedy trial was a way to stop bike shedding, and this and then you know by and large, this was a way to just stop like people bike shedding from each other. So like we're just trying to get this thing through, like. Taproot is like by and large, everyone agrees that if we need it or not, not necessarily need it, but you know, there's no downsides and this thing is a humongous benefit to the network. So why not activate it? And like, if we're just going to argue over how to activate it for these super, super niche cases that 99.99% chance won't happen. Like, let's just get this thing out there because you know, people want to use it. What were some of the niche cases that people were bringing up? Well, it's like, so since we're using, um, if you use time that, uh, has some, you know, weird things where like since the miner sets their own uh, block time in their block they could like do some weird thing where like they you know change it and then um you know, reorg themselves and move it in the past or into or into the future and then that could cause issues where like you thought it was going to activate and now it's going to activate two weeks later instead and someone broadcasts a taproot transaction so now their funds get stolen or something and and like to maybe make a parallel to dlcs here is like Bitcoin has no notion of time. Like time is something that we humans like understand and like we have a clock on the wall or whatever. But uh, the Bitcoin protocol itself has no idea if it's like June 1st or December 25th. We have to like, you know, build in rules to the protocol that make sure we have, you know, a, atomically incrementing time over time, if that makes sense. And so... Uh, there's this whole bit that uh, I think Mark Friedenbach uh, wrote to make sure that this is the case so that applications like time locks, for instance, which we, uh, you know, are familiar with, uh, actually work. Um, and generally, you know, when does, I, I'm on the block height side of things, but uh, so when you're designing a protocol with like wall clock time in mind, it's very hard to think like, okay, but the time on my wall is actually, you know, 6 p.m. but the bitcoin protocol might think it's 5 30 p.m. or it might think it's 6 30 p.m. depending upon how miners are setting those timestamps in their blocks so this is trusted input from miners every time a block is mined just like with discrete log contracts you have an oracle that uh, is attesting to something it's a little bit more complex than that but maybe for people out there that uh, are newbies and just trying to understand this stuff um that maybe is a decent analogy. Yeah, so like the rules around the, the timestamp in the block, I think is um, it ha like the average has to move forward and um, most nodes will reject a block that's like way too far forward. So like they can, you know, they have like a pretty big window where they can mess with things. So um, that's where like the block height argument comes in because that's kind of how where um, Bitcoin determines, you know, it's time is really block height. But the problem is um, it's terrible for test networks where um, Signet, there could be multiple different heights and um, that it really doesn't work. And then for testnet, there's a bug in it where um, sometimes there'll be like 10,000 blocks in a day. So, um, you know, we could say like, oh, it's going to start on April 1st. And then, you know, we get 10,000 blocks in a day and now we totally missed our window. So, you know, there's different problems there. Why does the testnet matter for this? Does it need to? That's the argument. But like, um, that, that, like, that was my argument. I know like Luke Dash Jr. and a couple other people like said that like, you know, we should pick the best thing for mainnet and testnet should, you know, like, you know, assimilate to what mainnet does. 
But um, I think I know AJ Towns is saying um, he was on the other side saying, you know, these, tech ne these test networks are important. And, um, you know, if I want to test something, I should be able to test it reliably on this network. So we make sure we're doing the correct thing on mainnet. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't care about testing at all, but I'm not a developer. So my opinion probably doesn't matter in that, in that those regards. That's something I wanted to add to that. The, uh, well, I think at the end of the day, Ben's right is just pick something and yeah. like, let's keep yeah. this thing moving forward. Like the, I think it's a little hyperbolic to, you know, say that like a, you know, that, that's like, that seems like it'd be a New York times headline. It's like trillion dollar Bitcoin network, you know, solves problems with coin flips or something like yeah. that. And I think it's, you know, yeah, like by and large, they're both like perfectly fine. Um, and you know, we had to pick one and this was the best way to break the sand still, I think. So I think I'm, I'm glad it happens now. Like, you know, like I said, in the next two weeks, this thing's actually happening. So, you know, if we didn't do this, we might, you know, be like, yeah, maybe in two more, three more months, we might have it. But now we have like a real timeline that's happening. Yeah. And yeah, so I'm, I'm pro coin flip again. I remember what I wanted to say, even in that edge uh, sort of scenario that you describe at the minor like reworking itself, like the probabilistic nature of, of getting a block too would make that like a yeah. low probability event, right? Because you can't guarantee that a miner's going to mine two blocks in a row. Yeah, it's pretty, like it'd be a hard attack to pull off and there's not a huge incentive to do it. Like no one's doing tra taproot transactions the day it comes out. So like, you know. Unless you're a god like Peter Wola. Yeah, like it's a, <laughs> it's a super, super niche thing to do. So I don't see a reason to like, like, you know, we should care about these things, but like, it's fine to have that very small, small. Don't let the factor. perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Yeah. Good enough. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Bitcoin's not a perfect protocol, but, uh, you know, it's the best we got. So let's just use it. Yeah. God, it's so good right now. All time highs, all time high boys. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, so someone, I guess I've been through two or three of three of these now. Um, it always, it blows my mind every time. It's like, God, I've seen this before, but it's still... Uh, and going back to that American huddle, Peter McCormick bet, it's like, you never know with Bitcoin. I mean, if there's one asset that can do it, it's Bitcoin. And especially with the the kind of momentum and steam we have behind us now with Coinbase IPO, seems like everybody and their mother of corporations is like dabbling with Bitcoin. Um, it's like, I mean, Marty, like for people from five years ago, this would be like the best case scenario I think I could like possibly imagine um, maybe, you know, maybe there is a few more, but it's pretty damn good. Uh, like with what things are right now, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. I was asked, I was on a Cedric young, uh, Youngleman's podcast yesterday, the Bitcoin matrix podcast. And he asked me like, are you sure? Like, are you stressed out about the future of Bitcoin at all? Like, how does this compare to like bull, bull markets of years past? I was like, I'm not stressed out at all. Like I've never been more confident. Like remember 2015, 2016, oh, that bear market. Like people yeah, legitimately thought Bitcoin was going to die. Like I think we've hit a tipping point, particularly in the last 12 months, where there's no turning back. Try starting like a Bitcoin company in those times. It was not fun. <laughs> Blockchain <laughs> is where it was at. Uh, not Bitcoin though, but that's kind of changed, I guess. So yeah. Well, that's a, that's a debate I've been having. I had it last night with uh, Alex Gladstein and Jimmy Song. Like, it, yeah, it's like, is this time different? I know I'm going to, like, timestamp 30 minutes, 31 seconds, <laughs> plus the ads of the intro uh, <laughs> to this podcast recorded on April 14th, 2021. 
already said this time is different and he was wrong. That's not, <laughs> but, but is this time different? The, uh, I mean, it's just the culturally, the acceptance of Bitcoin, like the, the amount of, and so that's the conversation we got into last night. Like just the price goes to such a level. That's what Jimmy was saying. And like how, how these crashes happen that uh, there's just not enough inflow to, to basically eat up the, the new supply of Bitcoin coming on the market to, to hold up the price at those levels but it's like <sighs> i think like this time i think what this chip shortage might be like influential on that though because like now like right now miners are net buyers of bitcoin and like you know difficulty is not going to track price um like it hasn't at all so far and it doesn't look like it will so we like if we hit like you know 500k like it's not like miners are selling you know like a million dollars worth of bitcoin every block it's like you know the difficulty might only go up another like 10 20 percent by then and they could just be like pocketing all in this cash and there's like not that new supply isn't, you know, diluting us as much. Well, that was another part of uh, Jimmy's explanation of why we have why we probably will have another big crash because the miners, particularly the big miners, uh, will try to squeeze out the smaller miners um, by pushing the price lower and try to drop their profitability uh, to unprofitability and then seize up some of the market of, of the mining share at least. Which is an interesting uh, theory, but again, like it's hard to imagine, like all these big players selling Bitcoin, all these retail investors selling. Like the the combination of like the acceptance in the mainstream and what's going on in our political and monetary system. Like it seems, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased because I hate it so much, and I and I hope this to be true. But it seems like people are losing confidence in the political monetary system rather quickly i think it's definitely true like i mean even just like dogecoin being normalized kind of like makes bitcoin normal and now like you know if I t- if you tell like a random person on the street like oh yeah i work in bitcoin they'd be like oh cool it's not like what is that are you a crazy person like you know you know why, don't why are you financing know? terrorists yeah exactly and now it's like oh that thing that elon does and yeah. uh, you know oh i heard about you know that thing went up good job and you know, it's it's kind of cool where it's like it's crossed the Overton window completely. Well, and like going back to culture stuff, it's like Bitcoin has that weird cultural aspect to it. It's like kind of counterculture, kind of cool. At least my what I tell myself <laughs> again. So maybe it's just me projecting, but uh, I, I do think it has that countercultural like aspect to it that uh, can be really attractive to people too. It's like outside the system and you know all this stuff. I I want to see like you know the. Hollywood industry get behind like telling all the amazing stories that's happened over the last 10 years in Bitcoin and get away from NFTs and like trying to sell those things. But I mean, there, there's so many good stories. Like I think in the, the Bitcoin or even the wider cryptocurrency industry that uh, can really also just help raise its profile. Like you said, Elon Musk, like, you know, him just tweeting about Bitcoin just legitimizes it so much. I, I think in Tesla buying $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, like, that is, I mean, again, like going back five years ago, it's like, yeah, te- if you told me Tesla's going to buy $1.5 billion of Bitcoin, I'd be like, well, first off, Tesla's not going to be in business in five years. <laughs> and they sure as hell aren't going to buy $1.5 billion of Bitcoin because Bitcoin's worth $1.5 billion. I think all of Bitcoin <laughs> is worth $1.5 billion. And just like going back to the 2015 days and just a little anecdote back to Coinbase, like Coinbase raised, I think, 75 or $100 million from Goldman in 2015. And again, Bitcoin was worth one or two billion dollars, I think, when they raised that money. And now Coinbase today is IPOing for uh, like a, roughly a hundred million, maybe two hundred million dollars. And billion. 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 
Oh yeah, sorry, billion, excuse me. Um, and all of Bitcoin is worth $1 trillion. So you see like this kind of ratio is the same between Coinbase's fundraise back in 2015 and uh, their IPO today and the Bitcoin market cap. So um, I, you know, I don't know what that means, if there's any interesting information to glean off of that, but uh, it's funny anecdotes anyway. Yeah. And that's another thing I think people severely discount, particularly like people who bash lightning and Bitcoin scaling and, and second layers and stuff like that. Number go up really provides utility to these second layers and Bitcoin in general, right? Like that, like that was, it's super helpful. Like my lightning wallet on my phone is just like, Oh, now that, you know, it has five X as much money on it. And I, you know, I don't need to worry about channel balancing as much anymore because it's, you know, everything's just worth more. So I can send $20 a lot easier. Right. Imagine if that Eric wall, <laughs> a Ryan Gentry bet happened uh, at a hundred thousand dollars. Like with that, I mean, he pussy, like he dragged it out. Eric wall did and, and made it very gruesome for, <laughs> for, the, for the lightning network, I guess oh, is, yeah. is a good word to say, but sending a thousand dollars would, would be significantly easier. You're just sending sats, right? Yeah. That's the other knock. Like, people not understanding how to, I don't want to say value lightning, but, like, uh, basically determine whether or not it's being successful. Like, they look at just the pure uh, amount of liquidity locked in channels where you can, like, they don't understand that, like, it's beautiful that you, you have sort of a static amount, at least in public channels, and people are just getting utility out of that static amount of Bitcoin on the network. Like I, I set my my channels up for the TFTC uh, node for our store on our website two years ago, and I haven't touched a thing. And it just works. We're able to receive and um, like I'll, I'll top up our ads on on Bitcoin Bounty Hunt like every once in a while. That happens automatically. Uh, yeah, it's it's like when the number goes up, like lightning, I think is going to get really interesting. And we're also so early on Lightning. Like, this thing's, what, like, three years old? Like, when Bitcoin was three years old, people were writing individual private keys on pieces of paper. Like, you know, now we have, like, Viv9Cs and, like, all this fancy, you know, seedless stuff and multi-sig. Like, you know, like, 10 years down the road, Lightning's going to be, like, super, super seamless and a lot better to use. It's just, you know, we're so early on this protocol. And there's still so much stuff we have planned, like, you know, like L2 and, you know, PTLCs, all these fancy stuff that's coming. It's just... You know, we're so early on, on Lightning. Yeah. How early are we on DLCs? <laughs> oh, so much earlier. 2017 Lightning or 2010 <laughs> Bitcoin, I guess, is probably what uh, we'd say. Um, you know, DLCs are interesting because, if anything, people love to do in crypto is speculate. And uh, that uh, gives people the tools to do that for the stupid Twitter bets like uh, Peter McCormick, American Hoddle, or whoever your friendly uh, Twitter... Uh, troll is you can at least get them to maybe put their money where their mouth is in the future but we'll see even you betting on the election yeah i mean i i bet on the election i guess i bet on joe biden winning and i got a 0.4 bitcoin out of that so i uh, i guess joe biden did something for me that's for sure 40 million sets 40 million sets sorry that's well that's another thing to, to take into consideration like we were talking about tesla like i think it's cool that they bought 1.5 billion dollars but i think it's even cooler that their engineering team was focused on patching a bug on btc pay server like well, is there going to be like a cambrian explosion of engineering talent just from companies that are getting financially invested in this asset that are that are looking at the protocol and contributing to to different areas of of the ecosystem if you will i mean i 
I think so. I mean, again, they just as they get skin in the game, they have to. Um, you don't want to be the Tesla engineer that has to report to Elon Musk and say you lost one point five billion dollars of Bitcoin. That's for sure. Um, uh, so, I mean, yeah, as all these institutions get skinned in the game, um, that's going to be the case. Um, and that's great. I mean, that's what we all want to see. It seems like, you know, there's a lot of funding out there for developers these days, and that's going to, you know, benefit all of us later on down the line with improved tooling, improved protocols, um, better security on all this stuff. So, uh, that's really underappreciated part of the industry I think is like the amount of security that needs to go in to, you know, say secure $1.5 billion of Bitcoin or work on like Coinbase custody team or any of these big exchanges custody teams. Like it's no joke. You cannot do things quickly or best even to not change things at all because assuming that the thing you work, you have works, um, changing anything introduces risk and risk is really bad in those setups. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think this time is different, freaks. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Like, a cultural tipping point. Like, it's just accepted. Like, you have Jim Cramer being yeah. <laughs> demanding to be paid in, in Bitcoin. He's actively, I mean, not to, like, I put a lot of... <laughs> Skin. Which way the wind was the wind blowing today? That's what Jim Cramer will yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. I guess he's a but the norm, pundit. But the normies take what Jim says, and they yeah, they're like oh, Bitcoin's okay. This is supplanting gold, like gold. That's demonetizing gold in real time. What, we printed like ten trillion dollars in gold. Is it's down since? Like that's pretty. That's pretty hilarious. It's pretty damning. Yeah. So has there been any takes outside of the Bitcoin take of why gold is performing so poor? I mean, like, is there any other arguments to why gold has sucked recently rather than just bitcoin is eating its lunch i would think the gold buds will say you know oh it's manipulated paper gold markets blah 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 that okay they would say that forever yeah your keynesian mmt or would probably say well inflation isn't isn't a the cpi inflation level isn't where the gold bugs were saying it was so investors are looking at that and they're they're not putting their money in gold I, I would imagine that's one of the arguments that they would put out there, even though it's blatantly false. There's inflation right now. Have yeah. you filled your gas tank recently? It's insane. Or bought wood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lumber. Yeah, I mean, going to the farming stuff is even commodity prices are up and uh, corn, soybeans. Corn, soybeans, wheat. Just even my favorite barbecue place here, the prices have gone up six dollars per pound for brisket since I moved here. What? Yeah, it was twenty. It was used to be twenty ninety nine. Now it's twenty six ninety nine. Wow, that's thirty, uh, almost thirty percent. Like, yeah, it's really good brisket. It's still worth it, but it's like, I don't want to spend all this money. Damn. <sighs> so that's the other thing, right? Like this time is like, are we in the beginning of a hyperinflationary event? That's what we were talking about last night too. Like, is it already here? What what are we going to be saying in twelve months? Like how crazy are things going to get? I mean, we got Bitcoin, so we'll be happy either way. But I I don't know. I hope I hope it doesn't get too bad here because a yeah, lot of I bad mean, stuff can happen. I don't want to see that. Like even if it you know benefits me financially, um, you know that's it's just so bad for the the citizens of a government to go through that. And uh, you know, there's plenty of examples in the world for that. And hopefully we aren't at that extreme in the United States. I agree with everything you gentlemen are saying, but what if we are? Okay. I hope not too. 
We'll get out to rural Texas, go make yeah. some friends with uh, whoever has guns out there and cattle and uh, 3D print your own guns. 3D print your own guns. There you go. Well, you, how was the uh, the Guns and Bitcoin conference? It was a ton of fun. I uh, shot a million guns and uh, got really sunburnt. But I learned so much, like like getting into Bitcoin, you know, like you first get into like, oh, it's this, you know, fancy alt currency, basically. And then you, you, so, you know, start reading you're like, oh, this thing is a humongously studied topic. It's so much deeper than you ever thought. And I like had that like, same experience with 3D printed guns this weekend. We're like, you know, I thought I'm like, oh, yeah, people just like redesign and remake the, the part that, you know, Smith and Wesson makes. And, uh, you know, then you put it into their gun. But like, no, these guys are trying to make guns 100% 3D printed and like, you know, they're making guns like, you know, you just go to Lowe's, buy a couple pipes, go home, 3D print something, and now you have an entire gun that is accurate and shoots like a real gun. And uh, it's crazy how, like, how much work they put into it and like how much they do to make it safe. And yeah, they have a lot of really cool stuff there. Are these people terrorists or are they just freedom-loving Americans? Um, I mean, some of them seemed a little crazy, but they're all uh, <laughs> they're all definitely freedom-loving people. This is an honest podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, there's a bunch of crazy people in Bitcoin, too. But, like, you know, at the end of the day, we're, you know, giving just people access to, like, freedom technologies, which which is, there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. No. I mean, with any new technology, like, you can kind of tell if you're on the right path of something. If there's at least some, if there's no crazy people, that's, like, kind of boring, like, you need to like, you know, whenever maybe, you know, we move on from Bitcoin in 10 years, we don't want to work on it anymore. It's like, I'm going to wherever the crazies are. I like at least some crazies because they seem to find the unique, innovative ideas that are like worth working on. And, uh, you know, they're crazy still, but uh, we uh, that's something I want to see come into the world and whatever tool set that I have, like, you know, maybe I can help get that there and uh, you know whatever the topic is, I guess. But, yeah. I think we're still going to need the crazies in Bitcoin in 10 years. We've got a long way to go, boys. A long way to go. Oh, yeah, too long. 10, 15 years, and we're mostly done. Like, how do you, how do you view short bits? Like, a company you're going to work with and on for the rest of your life? Uh, I mean, rest of your life's a long time. Um, but, yeah, for the next, like, 10 years, 15 years, I think, easily. Um, you know, whether we IPO or sell to another private company, uh, is yet to be seen depending on what the discrete log contract ecosystem brings us. Um, something I've been thinking about a lot lately on that front is like, you know, kind of institutional size derivatives between, you know, big players like miners and hedging whatever risks they want to hedge and retain some sort of custody. Um, one question I wanted to ask you on this podcast, Marty, is what does uh, non-custodial mean to you? <laughs> what does non-custodial mean to you? It means I have, I know where you're taking this, right? Like, I could have a key in the two or three. Yes. But I don't, don't uh, You definitely yeah. don't have custody. That's not like, custody, that's just, that's just uh, visibility. Well, I think this is from the atomic finance discussion, right? Yes. Because so they called their, their product they're working on non-custodial, and it's, you know, you're setting up a DLC, and the Oracle can, you know, sign a message and, you know, execute your dlc but it's like you know you're half like the counterparts are the only ones that are actually holding the, key, the keys on the blockchain and they have this third party oracle that can you know create uh, transactions they have um, otherwise valid to broadcast and you know essentially make their funds move 
but it's like you know since you know say like me and Chris are in a bet like we're the only ones that are actually holding these keys so are we you know do we have full custody of it or does that oracle part of our custody it's like the oracle can only move funds but they can't pick where the funds are moved to uh well the address that the funds are moved to they more can only sign a transaction they can only broadcast a signature that the people in the DLC can use to complete yeah. a transaction. So, like, to, for, like, the American HODL, um, Peter McCormick bet, like, say Chris is the Oracle, he can only sign a message to say, you know, that uh, the price is, you know, up or below the 300K level. So, you can only say, like, you know, the funds will move to here or here. He can't just be like, you know, the funds are going to my address, screw you too. So, like, he kind of has a... A say in where the funds go but also he can broadcast that signature and you know he say like the price does go over 300 and um, he signs that it doesn't hodl and peter mccormick could be like well chris lied let's just close it ourselves and give it to the right person well that wasn't going to be my question really get what at the oracle because bad data you can just yeah it's a multi-sig the end day so you can do whatever you want gentleman's bet mm-hmm. um, yeah um so it's like i mean it is an interesting um semantic argument i guess is what it is at the end of the day is like what does non-custodial mean? Um, some people th- seem to think, from my understanding online, is like non-custodial means I have unilateral custody over my funds, which is custodial in my opinion. It's just I'm the custodian. Um, whereas non-custodial maybe means nobody unilaterally can pick where the funds go to after the contract is set up um i th- you know that that is at least where i'm at on this like are you f- I, I guess maybe another question is what i'm saying is it makes sense and like does the argument uh hold water you think yeah no i see what you're saying because it's uh it's, it, it, it's really tricky i guess so you predetermine where the sats are going when you construct a transaction, right? And you're like, hey, if I win, send it to this address. If Peter wins, send it to his address. So you're basically just taking a hash of an outcome or a hash from an oracle that represents the the outcome and using that to direct the funds to the predetermined address. Is that, and yeah, so I, it's like Schrodinger's custody, right? Like well, nobody has custody until the hash is actually. Well, maybe just maybe uh, something signature. more basic is like if you're in a one of one, like pay to pub key output, um, do you guys agree with me that it's custodial, but you are the custodian? I mean, Self custody, right? Yeah, I guess technically, but like generally I, people I think that I think that's very important because yeah. I think a lot of people think that means non custodial. But that's not really the case. It's you are the custodian. Yeah, we're getting into a semantics argument. And I think you're right. Right? Um, there's there's some vernacular that needs to be flushed out here. Like you, somebody is custodying, self custody. So I think self self custody. That's is, probably a better term right. uh, than using non custodial in that context. Yeah. Um, like non custodial, I think is you know in the context of multi sig, like you were bringing up, Marty, is a g- great example of that. Is like. Non-custodial really means nobody can unilaterally move funds from an output on the Bitcoin blockchain, including yourself, including yourself. Um, so, that's my thoughts on that anyway. I wanted so, to. So would you say like, say like me and you have a two or three multi-sig, I have two, you have one, you would say that's custodial then? Because I'm the custodian. I would say, yeah, you are the custodian okay. in that case. Yes. Uh, I, can, I can hear some freaks screaming. <laughs> well, well I then guess I guess then I online. guess you have to get to like uh, so it's all 
guess we have to add like centralized custodial sh- custodians, right? I think that would be the other term. That's the well, like say if that's I that's what depo- most people think when you say custodial. Is yes. Third party centralized custodian. Yes. So, like, you know, if I send my funds into Coinbase or whatever, like, they're definitely the custodian. Like, I don't think anybody's going to argue that Coinbase has unilateral control. Like, maybe with things like, I, I don't know if BitGo still offers, like, multi-sig uh, solutions where, like, you know, they hold one key or, you know, there's various other companies that do it, too. Um, yeah, that would be non-custodial in my mind, I guess. Yeah, I think uh, self custody. That's probably the better word to say. Yeah, because that means that you know I have I can control the funds. Maybe that's what Atomic Finance should say. Like, does that make sense? Like, do you have self custody of a DLC? Well, I mean, I think what Atomic Finance was saying was accurate. It's non custodial, but I think the people that were arguing with Atomic Finance think that uh, non custodial means that self custody. They are yeah, exactly. So it's like you know one of these very kind of stupid like nuanced things that it's not stupid though it, right? it needs to like you know we just need to make sure we're using our terms correctly i guess yeah in my opinion like you know i guess i'm shilling for discrete log contracts too so maybe i'm jading people's views here but uh everybody should think about it i guess that's what i've been thinking about a lot lately think about it freaks i mean it does make sense right so non-custodial would be like a dlc setup where nobody multi-sig where the keys are equally distributed so that nobody can unilaterally move funds. That's another example of non-custodial lightning is non-custodial. Well, I would have to think about you have like your pre-signed like commitment transactions that you can broadcast though. Right. It's like close the channel. So would lightning be custodial where you are actually self custody? Yeah, it would. Sorry. Yeah, it would be self custodied. But not non... Okay, this is a fun little argument I guess we're having. I'll have to think about this more. Especially with Lightning. That's a fun one. I guess it's like you you could say... Then HTLCs maybe themselves are non-custodial, possibly. But also like, you know, you could say like your on-chain funds are self-custody, but like to send over Lightning, you still need cooperation between your counterparties of your channel. So you could say that is non-custodial. Okay. But the actual closing of a channel is self-custodial. Yeah. Layers to this. Layers to this. A lot of nuance. Yeah. Don't at me, at Ben, when when people get angry at me for saying this. Uh, Yeah, it's so fascinating. Uh, Back to DLCs, though. Like one one blog post that Ndao put out recently, I wrote about in the Bent. It was really fascinating was your work on... uh, Multiple oracles and yeah. So you got what did you guys do? Uh, Pierre, it was a price bet between you and Roman. I mean, the Dov did the bet, and we had mm-hmm. uh Pierre, Bitfinex, and Chris as our uh, oracles. And yeah, we bet on the price, and you know, settled it with you know two of three oracles, which is really cool. Yeah. yeah. So, so break it down for the freaks. Yeah. So just uh, I mean, think about multi-sig. Uh, you know, traditional multi-sig setups, two of three. Um, you know, you need two of the three signatories on the multi-sig to issue a big, you know, create and issue a valid Bitcoin transaction. The same concept we're bringing to DLCs with oracles. Instead of just having this one oracle that we just, you know, kind of argued about this uh, custodial, non-custodial self-custody stuff with, uh, we don't want to have that single point of failure on the oracle front if we can avoid it or at least give people the option or choice to use multiple oracles that they feel more comfortable 
um, you know, distributing trust amongst those oracles. So uh, with the DLC demo that we did, uh, you know, we had two or, or sorry, we had three oracles and it was required that two oracles agreed on what the Bitcoin price was to be able to uh, move funds from the discrete log contracts. So uh, do you remember what the the, the price was around $57,000 or 54000 It was like... So- it was either fifty seven or fifty nine thousand and one. I remember ending yeah. with one, and we we're like, "This is too like it looks fake because we have our round numbers." But yeah, it's like, it's like hats off to Nadav. He's a freaking whiz kid on this stuff, and like a lot of the really important stuff he's been doing lately was like made this possible. Where you know, cause the nice thing that is like these oracles don't have to coordinate or even know each other exist at all. All me and Nadav do is just need to get their signatures like individually from me, from them. So like. I think like the Bitfinex price signed like one dollar different than the uh, than Pierre's price, and your your price you signed was like a couple hundred dollars different or something. Or yeah, I a think couple I, dollars. at least I thought it was like ten dollars different, but uh, yeah, yeah. And I, so we had like three different prices, and our contract was still able to execute because like there's a lot of this fancy logic and compression stuff he's doing. Where you know if we made a contract for every single possible thing that or uh, all three. Uh, oracles could sign there'd be like 10 quadrillion different <laughs> outcomes and you know it's signing 10 quadrillion we things. need big blocks for that yeah and, you <laughs> I'm know just kidding you'd have to uh it'd take like you know days to sign but um during like all the fancy stuff we do in the back end it turns to like 5,000 outcomes and uh you know it's a lot more easy to do and it's it's really freaking cool what we've what uh the stuff you designed and when we guys created that that contract you set minimums and maximums of like a standard deviation between the prices or something like that yeah there's like a so there's like two things you set there's like a a min fail and like a max fail so you say like you know we want to cover all cases within like 128 dollars say and then you know up to to 500 dollars will allow some variance but you know it could fail if there's like a 300 dollar difference but you know, it might work if there's a $300 one, which is kind of how the math works out in the back end. Yeah, so like a drastic example of this would be, um, you know, I say the Bitcoin price is $150,000. Uh, Bitfinex says it's $50,000, and then Pierre said it was $0. The DLC in that case would not be able to settle, and everybody would be refunded their initial collateral because it's outside of those um, accepted... Uh, error bounds that uh, was configured between the two contract participants. So, I mean, the key thing to remember with DLCs is like in the failure scenario where the Oracle disappears, um, you know, you can always get your money back uh, just by executing the refund clause. Um, That's obviously not ideal depending on, uh, you know, if you're winning or losing in the DLC, but uh, it is a way to, you know, minimize like really bad outcomes like funds just being frozen forever. Yeah, something cool that's going on too is like, you know, say like we have these three different prices. How do we pick which outcome to sign? Like, you know, if they're $100 difference, I might change between a couple stats between what we achieve. And basically how it works is like we just like rank our oracles however we see fit. So I think we chose like Kraken is number one, Bitfinex is number two, and then you is number three. And um, and so like, so the Kraken price was like, you know, our stable price. And then we just made sure the other two were in the range. And then we executed based off, you know, if Kraken's price is this, then we you, you get this amount of Satoshis. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's it's crazy how intricate it's all getting. Because like, the last time we talked, we talked about like contract for difference. Yeah, I mean, we've really been, <laughs> yeah, 
I guess we've been doing some work. I mean, you know, in the day day in and day out, it's always hard to not get, uh, you know, that disillusionment. It's like, are we even making progress? It seems like things are going so slow, but this would, when you go and talk about it on a podcast, like, oh yeah, we did that. We did this. And then, uh, you know, again, going back to the tooling stuff I was kind of shilling for at the beginning is, uh, all this stuff is still very technical and only usable for engineers. And, uh, as the DLC protocol solidifies and stabilizes, you know, we're going to be working on tooling for end users. Um, so for instance, in this example of picking multiple oracles that we were just talking about, we would like to do some sort of a checkout experience on our Oracle Explorer. So you can be like, ah, click, I want the Bitfinex Oracle and I like them the most. And then I want Pierre Richard because his tweets are funny and I want him to be my second Oracle. And uh, maybe I don't really like Chris so much because his custody stuff is weird, but I'll throw him in there as the last one. And, uh, you know, have, you know, you, you pick those oracles and then, you know, pull it down to your local wallet and build all the transactions and, uh, off you go with your DLC for whatever you want to bet for. So like figuring out what stuff makes sense to build things like web tooling for, and then thinking about how to integrate that with like, you know, your self custody wallet that, uh, you know, you have on your local machine or phone or whatever is, um, something we're looking forward to in the second half of 2021 here. You know, you put it that way. It's like crazy to think of what these wallets will turn into. I mean, like wallets, there are like, you know, some of them are podcast apps now. Like, <laughs> right. Seriously, like, what the hell? <laughs> if you told me that a year ago, like, why would they do that? Now it's like, oh, this is so cool. I'm using this. And right. Like, so, I, like, can we even call them wallets? Are they like platforms? Yeah. What are they? What are they? I mean, like, if you said, like, you know, like when the internet started, I was like, you know, this is for sending research papers around. If you told people, like, yeah, people are going to, like, use VR porn on this thing or you know, <laughs> or play, like, video games, like, shooting each other across the planet. Like, what? No, we serve research papers on this thing. Why would they use it for that? And now... Foundation like, for a new monetary system yeah, is going to be built on this? No. Nah. So, like, I think, like, Bitcoin's going to have a lot of that where, like, you know, a lot of that stuff was sounded crazy a couple of years ago, but it's just, like, obvious now or it just it just makes sense. Well, I guess, like, harpening back to Sphinx conversation with Paul Toy... Like, are we building a new internet on this? Like, obviously not like the TCPI, like, but like, I don't know. Like, well, it's like not, I, I, not I, building a new internet, but re-architecting the internet in a way with this new layer. I always think of it as like you know, the history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And like, I think that's probably the perfect saying for what's going to happen with Bitcoin and its integration into the wider internet. Maybe is way to put it and you know we're gonna get all sorts of cool stuff that uh we can't even imagine now and it's gonna be awesome and you know i I always just think it's like even just basic financial products is like can i get like a loan for a day or something like that or just like you know i don't even know it's 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 just hard to really fathom about what the possibilities are but it's programmable money so really anything you can program into it i guess is uh what's possible you need you need DeFi for that though Nope. Yeah, Bitcoin DeFi with DLCs. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is another debate we always have. Should we call it Bitcoin DeFi or not? And uh, where do you, uh, where do you fall in the debate? I don't think we should because DeFi has kind of become like a, a no no word, and you know it's associated with rug pulls and uh, scams and all this. But it does encapsulate, you know, kind of what we're doing a lot. But I don't <laughs> yes, know. that's that's, that's why I, I'm for the record I'm on the opposite side of Ben here, and I think. 
you just got to go with the flow at, at some point and uh it seems to be what people know so what uh ryan gentry told us is just get a bunch of dgens using it and they'll come up with a meme and that's what you call it <laughs> right exactly that's a good idea well peter an american hodl right yeah. <laughs> well let's let's use this opportunity to basically just draw a line of distinction between the DeFi that's hot right now uh, ethereum binance chain all that all that jazz and what you envision it would be in a in a world built on dlcs on bitcoin well i mean i think just for for starters there's no like tokenomics or i don't even know if that's the term they use anymore but it's just like it is finance there's just no token stuff added on to it like bitcoin's the token like i, I think the fundamental like most important difference is like you're doing the self-verification of the actual contracts versus like having, you know, the Ethereum blockchain do this. Yeah. So like, you know, when you see like this, you know, sushi token contract on thing, you can read the code of it and find, you know, how to exploit it and then just take all the money. Whereas with this, like all my contract logic is off chain in my wallet that I'm not going to reveal to you. So you can't know how to break it, even if there was a bug in it. So like, you can't tell that people are even using these things. And like, you know, you can't, like if you find one critical bug, you're not going to just collapse and just take everyone's money immediately. Like the worst case scenario is either you cause the wrong ex outcome to be executed or you cause people to refund. Let's dive into that. So you're holding on the logic in your wallet and instead of on chain, and that's much more secure. Yeah. So like how like an Ethereum contract works is you like you write this fancy solidity contract and you publish it on chain and now people can deposit and like execute functions on that. Whereas with this is like, say me and you are doing a bet. We just sign a bunch of possible transactions that could happen encrypt them with um you know what we would see the oracle's uh, key would be once they sign it then we can decrypt that and only broadcast a transaction that's the correct outcome so like our entire contract logic is off chain it's just you know which which transaction can we decrypt to make valid so you know we're not no one else can do that unless they like break into our computers and find those encrypted transactions that seems much safer well, I mean, to give the devil his due, though, um, you know, the reason DeFi on Ethereum is so popular is because it's all on chain. Um, you know, these uh, automated market makers, the market itself exists on the Ethereum blockchain so that anybody can send orders or try and execute trades directly on this Ethereum uh, blockchain. And, you know, for all of us Bitcoiners, we're out there thinking, well, this doesn't scale and it's horrible for a bunch of reasons, which is true. Um, but from a market uh, kind of infrastructure perspective, it's very attractive because, you know, everybody has the Ethereum blockchain, you know, don't go too far on like, you know, running full nodes and stuff like that. But everybody has a view of the Ethereum blockchain and can execute orders against this. Like the way for this us to do this on Bitcoin has got to be some sort of lightning solution where, you know, we have these routed channels or it has to be a centralized platform that's doing the matchmaking as far as I can see. So, uh, again... The key thing with the Ethereum DeFi stuff is the matchmaking is happening on chain and uh, it's also harder to regulate them too. So, you know, there, there is um, not from technological perspectives, but a convenience from being a market participant of having the market live on the blockchain. Um, it makes like UX a lot easier too because like they can yeah. have MetaMask call these couple functions yeah. and, you know, create order, cancel order, whatever. Versus like us, you know, you, you need to have your like self-hosted wallet or whatever manually verifying all these transactions. So, 
You know, that's a lot more. Yeah, no, I mean, the bigger thing, though, is just finding somebody to trade with. Right? That too, yeah, yeah. It's like, well, I want to go sell, you know, a call option or something like that. It's like, well, where do I go find that person to take the other side of the trade? With Ethereum, you just look on the blockchain and see what the market is. Uh, with DLCs, you know, you need to have some sort of coordination going on because you need a liquid market to be able to find participants to trade against. And uh, we can't do that on the Bitcoin blockchain. So that means there's got to be some sort of, uh, you know, hosted solution somewhere, whether it's on like Tor or website or, you know, I don't know where, uh, to facilitate the actual market function itself. And that's really the value of Ethereum DeFi is the fact that they're, you know, really abusing the Ethereum blockchain to allow for all these trades to happen on it. So it's it's a trade-off, I guess. And they, they, it's, it's, it's important to give the devil his due because we can learn stuff and figure out, you know, what works, what won't work. And, uh, you know, what wisdom we can glean from uh, what they've done over there. So, yeah, but I mean, it's a totally solvable problem. Like, you know, we have like decentralized exchanges already on Bitcoin, whether it be like BISC or even like the joint market order book, you know, that's all essentially decentralized. And, uh, you know, we don't need to, you know, put all of our data onto the blockchain. We can figure out ways to do it off the chain and, you know, make it more private, more scalable. And that's like something we would love to do with DLCs is just integrate into existing places that liquidity exists. Say like with privacy people, like people are looking for to get privacy. It's like sometimes there's some uh, synergies between the crowd that wants to speculate and uh, people that want to gain privacy and, you know, maybe we can uh, work together on that front. So all food for thought, I guess. Flesh that out a little bit. What do you mean? Well, I mean, so if... uh, People that want privacy, maybe they're willing to take some sort of conservative bet if it means that they get to mix their coins or maybe we get a huge group DLC going or something like that to uh, allow the transfer of funds and start like, you know, obfuscating the transaction graph that way. Or um, at the very least, like we could just be like, you know, DLCs could just be, you know, part of just big coin join rounds. And since we're yeah. going to do a transaction anyways, just have like, you know, we're just adding an anonymity to people and saving on fees. So what would the DLC be? Like what would, what? I mean, it could be anything. You'd be betting on the price, betting on Super Bowl, betting on, um, you know, election. It's just like, you know, instead of like opening our funding transaction just between like just having our own inputs and outputs, we just put inside of a coin join. So now our, our DLC will execute after the coin join, but we can, um, you know, we have, you know, we're just like adding to this anonymity set of everyone opening and closing at the same time. Okay, I guess where I'm confused is somebody just trying to attain privacy leveraging a DLC. Are they making a bet? Uh, I guess like to be clear there, um, they would need to be seeking out like liquidity for whatever privacy functions that they want to obtain. And like maybe DLCs can be uh, part of that way yeah. to get enough people to want to mix and then do DLCs along with this and um, you know so they'd just be another input yeah so like separate of the DLC that's executed say like Wasabi is getting like you know like 30 participants an hour if you know added like DLCs and say like Lightning as well maybe they could get 50 participants an hour now everyone's benefiting from that because they have you know more anonymity per mix yeah I mean that's something I'm kind of hopeful for is eventually we can get some sort of uh, you know working together with other uh, teams to Again, get enough liquidity to allow for, you know, liquid markets with DLCs and hopefully liquid markets when it comes to obtaining like privacy too, or enough. um, I I admittedly am not up to date as much on privacy stuff, but uh, I can't imagine that more liquidity and the the 
privacy of protocols is going to be a bad thing for them. Or am I am I off there, Ben? No, not at all. I mean, privacy is like best when you're in a bigger crowd. So the more people you get on in in on it, the better. Yeah. So, um, but they do have to be willing to, uh, you know, if if they are going to be in a DLC, they have to be willing to be speculating on something or putting funds at stake for well, something. I'm more so saying like you could just like mix regular users that are just like mixing their own coins with also people who are executing DLCs. Yeah. So like, you know, they're both benefiting from each other without actually like cooperating as much. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Again, like the thing though is liquid markets. We want those for DLCs. We want to standardize some contracts that seem to be popular so that uh, we, we can get the liquidity that we need for uh, making DLCs popular is uh, something, at least that I, I hope we can get to and achieve uh, over the next like year, year and a half. But uh, all this stuff is hard and takes time, I guess, and resources. So, Well, you mentioned Lightning as a potential source of liquidity provider or a matchmaker. Uh, I think... Uh, I was more just saying on the coin join side, you just have like, you know, people instead of like opening a lightning channel in a single well, transaction, I can open, you know, no, no, I'm going back. I'm going okay. back further. Like in the context of DeFi, comparing it to Ethereum DeFi. Oh that. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just basically, you know, the, all the benefits of lightning kind of apply with DLCs too. And then with having, you know, what Ethereum DeFi does is have, uh, all the market coordination happening on chain. With Lightning, hopefully we can have some of that. Use Lightning's toolkit to facilitate some of that coordination over the Lightning network to be able to do DLCs, either having them directly in your channels or you know broadcasting Oracle Secrets or wh- whatever you want to do. So like, like a, a Sphinx tribe as an order book? Yeah, so, something like that, I guess. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see how this all evolves. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's... Well, uh, well, I'm thinking about like lightning pool. Is that like a proof of concept or something that could be applied to DLCs and what you're, you're I, looking for? I'm honestly not as familiar with lightning pool. Uh, I've I haven't read up on it enough to fully understand how it works on a technical level. So, I, Ben, have you? I mean, I understand how it works, but I don't. I don't know. I think it's kind of like a separate, completely separate entity. Like that's more like you know paying for inbound liquidity versus like this is like. You know, I want to bet on this third party, nothing really is a Bitcoin thing. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, hard problems to solve. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a, the hard thing with Bitcoin is none of this coordination happens on chain. It's all off chain, which means that the participants for things need to have a way to communicate with each other to set up these uh, DLCs. Uh, lightning uh, channels, um, all, all sorts of different things. So that's uh, really the kind of fundamental difference in architectures between the two chains. And I you know, firmly believe the choices that Bitcoin has made will scale into the future decades from now. Uh, but it's, it's harder now, I guess, in the, in the moment. So yeah. that's a trade-off. Yeah, I mean, like, we know there are solutions. It's really just like, picking the right one and like even if we pick the wrong one we can just build the other one because we're doing this in like modular and layers so like you know if we screw up trying to do like a sphinx chat tribe order book then we you know okay we can go to the bisque model or we can go to the this model and you know it's all doable and it's not like if we screw it up it's not like bitcoin screwed over we just try again 
Yeah, and that's what something that Sphinx Chat really drives home is like the combination of the distributed Bitcoin and Lightning networks and RSS, right, as a content distribution model. You're just combining two distributed things and, and getting useful out of them. That, that almost seems more robust too, right? Like less, more anti-fragile. I think like the beauty of it is like, it's really just like, you know, lightning requires that I have, you know, a, a home at, a server at home. So it's just like leveraging that. So now instead of like having to store my data on twitter.com or whatever and have them, you know, do whatever they want. Now it's just, you know, at my own server and I can leverage that. And now, you know, now we can encrypt it all and we can, you know, have it self, uh, you know, self custodial, I guess. Yeah. Self-custodial. I like, that. I like these. <laughs> quickly, quickly adopt. He gave me the eyes. I was like, yeah, okay, Chris, I'll say self-custodial. <laughs> Crazy man. Self-custodial. It's not non-custodial. Nuance here, freaks. Nuance. I'm trying to get brownie points with my boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been yelled at by Ben many times for, for writing in the newsletter that uh, the DLCs you're working on are applicable to Lightning Network. And he's like, no, it's not ready for Lightning yet. I think he's done it twice at least now. Yeah, we need uh, we need PTLCs most likely. Which either, I mean... They need Schnorr. Um, no, like with this whole ECDSA adapter SIG thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. we can do it without Schnorr, but like... It's more expensive, right? Well, it's just also bit? resource investment too. Yeah. It's like... Uh, are we going to invest down this path that we know is going to, you know, be going away in the next year and like, you know, kind of contradicting myself of what I was saying earlier. It's like, since we aren't there with the lightning stuff yet, um, maybe it does make, and it's not pressing to get it done, you know, in the next three or four months, it maybe is wise to wait until the, uh, PTLCs are supported officially in the Lightning Network before we start trying to do DLC stuff in there rather than uh, rolling our own code and uh, you know, kind of going against the grain with the rest of the network, I guess. Yeah, like we could do it today, but like we'd have to redo it all like after Taproot's activation. Yeah. So there's like, there's no, let's just wait for now and while it seems like it's going to happen. Yeah, you guys got other stuff to work on anyway. Yeah, like well, us have tons of stuff to work on. Lightning has tons of stuff to work yeah. on. Like, you know, we're, we're plenty bogged down. Yeah. Yeah. My son has joined us in the room. I'm sorry. Uh, Wait, so uh, Marty. Uh, and my wife. What's the deal with the, the, the cow? Oh, yes. We have to get on this. So I was thinking about this. So my family bought a cow. We had a family friend buy a, a farm, uh, a ranch. And they they basically adopted the cattle on the ranch. And the rancher staying to to raise the cattle and uh, yeah so they said hey do you guys want to buy a cow and i said yeah i do want to buy a cow that's awesome and so uh, my parents and i are splitting it it is four months old okay 350 pounds and you were talking about like a dlc on on the cow's <laughs> weight when we slaughter it um and my son's actually going to slaughter we're going to teach him hard lessons early in his life. Boy. I mean, I grew up on a farm. There's a lot of hard lessons you learn on a farm from a very early. You, you learn the circle of life pretty early, yeah. Using a Lion King quote. The uh, the the only like who's the oracle? Like can you? I mean, are you are you unless you're speculating on it too? Then you do have a conflict of interest. Yeah, right. And you can use Crystal Bowl, the uh, tool that Ben has made to do it. You know, it's almost a little bit of a irony there that the tool is called Crystal oh, Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just like a simple app to be an oracle. So I mean, maybe you could get your your family friend to be an oracle. <laughs> right. Well, maybe the freaks will just have to bet on the weight of the cattle when we slaughter. Well, I mean, this is again what happens in derivatives markets. Like 
actually all the time. It's like, you know, people need to figure out like how much beef is coming out. Do I need to buy some futures contracts to sell or buy these things? Um, you know, it, it is how, you know, commodities markets work, frankly. So, yeah, no, right. Like, and like, I can't, like, what do, what do, what do you slaughter cows at? Usually like a ton? They weigh a ton? Um, yeah, probably for beef cattle right around there. I mean, I think it's probably like 18 to 24 months. Maybe maybe up to 36. That's a little old, though, for beef cattle. Yeah, I think it was like 350 pounds of four months. It's Yeah, it'll get it'll get up to a ton. What, Angus? Yes. Yeah. Black Angus. Looked very healthy. It did. That's cute. I, I hope like, it, I don't yeah. know, like, it. Well, I guess we can touch on this now. Like you um, had untapped growth on on the podcast talking about regenerative cattle ranching uh, a couple of weeks ago. Very hot podcast. Very, I am very enthralled by the idea and excited about it. You being a being a farmer, a milk cow farmer, particularly yes, dairy cows, dairy cattle. Correct, correct vernacular there. Uh, you had uh, some pushback. Well, I mean, first I want to apologize to Untapped because I came at him a little hot on Twitter. Like <laughs> that was that was that was my bad, and I don't have any problems with what he's doing. It looks great. Um, my bigger concern is just people like to demonize big agriculture, like they demonize big energy. That uh, you know they don't provide any service and are somehow destroying the planet, which is like just totally incorrect in both cases. Yeah, somebody's been getting closer to big energy. Like I, I, I can agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, they are providing services to people, and if you get rid of these people, you know, your energy prices are going to double, triple, quadruple. I mean, who knows? Same thing with agriculture. If you get rid of the big agriculture uh, producers, I mean, do you want your food prices to double, triple, quadruple? I mean, that's that's the trade off here. And it's like uh, economies of scale, or what? Yeah, economies of scale. Uh, also. Well, it, of course, it matters how long you phase them out over. Say, if you do it over 100 years, maybe there's less of an impact than if you, you know, get rid of them tomorrow, of course. But, uh, I mean, the 20th century told us a lot about, uh, you know, tinkering with agriculture and uh, what dangers it can have. And it seems like nobody, everybody's forgot those lessons, it seems like to me, where, uh, you know, you start messing with the farmers and you forget that you can get the famine <laughs> that comes with that. So... Um, that, that's more of my overall point for people that criticize agriculture. And I, I don't, I'm not going to speak for untapped because I don't think I can do so articulately or accurately, but I think the one thing I gleaned from that conversation is like, what is big agriculture's effect on the topsoil, which is like, a yeah, point, right. Like, but you came into that thread and you said like my family farm, like we, yeah, yeah. We so sell, we, yeah. Like speaking to that a little bit is, um, you know, of course, this is contextual to this is, you know, I was born in the 90s. So I'm speaking from the 1990s forward, whereas some, you know, some of the research was from before the 1990s. Hey, son, we're recording. But um, so like with our family farm, we do things like, you know, contouring. We do no-till, uh, you know, just all these like basic tactics to make sure you aren't losing your topsoil because... You know, most farmers, they care about the land that they own because they plan on passing that down to their next generation and next generation. They don't want to leave the land barren so that it can't do anything. So, uh, like, I, I think it's just a little short-sighted to think that, uh, you know, that farmers don't care about their topsoil. It also directly impacts the yield, uh, and that, you know, corresponds to money in their wallet. I guess it shouldn't, I should say maybe not this year, but over the long term, if you are farming the land for multiple years, 
you know, you, you can't just extract resources and put nothing back in. You're going to get nothing eventually, which is just kind of really against the, uh, you know, farmers that I know anyway is, uh, you know, they really care about generational um, exchanging of this land. And you got to be thinking for the long term in that case. And maybe the science wasn't as great back in the 60s and 70s when it came to soil management, but farmers are changing and, you know, mod- uh, becoming more modern with uh, the, you know, the science that's out there for how to best manage this stuff. So, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's my little spiel on that or rant on that. I don't know if that makes sense. I appreciate your perspective on this because we talked about it the first time you were on um, your, your family dairy farm. It's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff. Big problems, big solutions. We're working on it. We're down here in Austin. We're all moving here. Hell yeah, we are. <laughs> are you ready for us? I don't know if the Unchained office is, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but the city is. Uh, like, is this going to be the new Bitcoin mecca? Do you think? It kind of already is. Like, New York was the uh, the pinnacle. You had like you know half the fucking core dev team there, and uh, you know a lot of really smart minds, and now. New York has gone to shit, and um, it seems like everyone's just like, screw it, I'm going here or to Miami, and it seems like a lot more here. Yeah, like, I mean, there's a lot of New Yorkers coming down for yeah, we have, bit we've, devs tomorrow. We've had a bunch of New Yorkers who just like, they just fly in every week or every month, and it's like, hi, you know, I'm Bob, and I'm from New York. It's like, I just flew in for the meetup. It's like, what the hell? We have <laughs> tons of people doing that. And also, like, every meetup, we have like at least two or three people like, you know, hi, I'm Bob, I just moved here. It's like, oh, wow. We're, we're getting so many people. What, uh, what is that going to do for the city of Austin? I mean, you got t- Tesla here. They're, they're Bitcoin forward. You've got Unchained Capital here. Going to be a stalwart. See, I mean, the Bitcoin. chip factories getting started up around here. I mean, it really is amazing. When like, Shortbit's getting an office down here. That's what I want to know. Yeah, I mean, when Shortbit's getting an office, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <the> right. <laughs> <laughs> we're all uh, working remotely right now, and that's worked out well in COVID. But as we grow, I think it probably is inevitable. I don't know if we could... It's an interesting question if you can be a fully remote team and be a really big team or if you need hubs. I don't know if you actually need like a single corporate office, but I maybe think you possibly need hubs of like an Austin hub or a New York hub or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we're still completely distributed at Great American Mining. And we're like completely spread out. We got two in Boston, um, currently in Austin, but typically in New Jersey, potentially in Austin. At some point by the end of the summer. Come on, guys, you'll be here. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Uh, we've got somebody in an RV, Austin, Louisiana. Engineer in New Hampshire, one in Utah, one in North Dakota. Yeah. I all like to hear like those those teams that are just everywhere and, you know, I guess touching all, all the places in the United States is always great to hear instead of just everybody lives in San Francisco or everybody lives in New York. It's yeah. I mean, for our line of business, we need, I mean, the oil men lived in, live in like North Dakota. And I mean, obviously there's a lot of oil men here in Texas, but we've got the, the Bakken oil men on our team, uh, in North Dakota. It's, um, yeah, it's interesting times. We're going to, uh, all right, we'll create the cattle DLC. I'll be the, the Oracle. I guess you freaks got to bet on. Oh, I got to teach you how to use crystal bowl then. I can figure it out. I'm sure. It's I'm, pretty easy. I'm okay in the command line. There's no command line. No, so it's pretty gooey. No, uh, we're 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 mo- we're becoming more modern. <laughs> <laughs> Even better. No, I should be able to figure it out. Um, yeah. I'll set it up. 
when, any freaks out there want to bet on the size of my cow, I'll be the oracle. I guess I guess I got to stay out you of this. Got to trust one. Marty. Because I'm biased. Yeah. You also need to make sure, like, what weight are you talking about? Is like, you know, lean, like, actual muscle that you can eat? Or are you just talking about body weight that you put them on the scale before you actually slaughter them? It's like, you know, we, we need to hammer out those details. I think body weight scale. Okay. That's probably the best way to do it. Before yeah, my son, before my son slaughters him. He's going to, yeah, I mean, I wasn't slaughtering cows at that age, but. Uh, He'll be like three when it happens. He should yeah. be shooting cows by then. <laughs> <laughs> Safe. I'm kidding, freaks. I'm kidding, freaks. I'm not going to force my, my three-year-old <laughs> child to, to slaughter a cow. Um, gentlemen, thank you for doing this on such short notice. Anytime, man. I mean, we had, we, we all co- were coordinating separately in the weeks leading up to this. But then today I was like, let's do it today. You drove down. You flew in. Yeah. Here Probably we are. the right time. Yeah. Feels good. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your vacation with your girlfriend. Yeah. Well, I got to work on the, the vacation with the girlfriend part and not uh, just hanging out with friends and talking Bitcoin. <laughs> she doesn't find that as fun as you can imagine. Are you bringing her to BitDevs tomorrow? No, I'm not going to subject her to that torture. For What about barbecue after? I was thinking about getting her to come to that but she, i mean we go to bed so early we're old oh, people yeah. and like you know that i mean what time is bit devs gonna get over like 7 30 it starts at oh seven. my god <laughs> i'm not gonna be able to stay up <laughs> jesus you old man seriously i'm on that i'm on that 60 year old life track not the 30 year old i got my brother rolling into town i'm gonna drag oh, him yeah? with me yeah throw him out throw him into the does he know end. anything about bitcoin or is he fresh he's, he's uh, you know i mean we talk about it obviously uh, a lot. He's he knows enough to be dangerous. Um, uh, he's never gone to like any Bitcoin events or anything like that. I think like just going to one of these events, it's always like you're just like, oh, you realize this is so much deeper than I thought. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, like, oh, they're arguing over like you know, you know, should this bit be zero or one? What the hell? And uh, yeah, th- okay, this thing is a lot more serious than I thought it is, and I yeah. think that's good exposure for people. Yeah, I'm excited to get him, get him into the fray. Um, I mean, for people, it's like, yeah, like I went to New York Bit Devs and I was like, oh my God, these are my people. Like, this is what I want to be talking about. And, you know, even if you don't understand all the technical stuff, the people you meet, it's I, just I rem- great. I remember your first New York Bit Devs. Yeah, like probably early 2018, maybe late yeah. 2017. Somewhere yeah, we there. had a beer at uh, the Westville uh, after. You were wearing a beanie. That sounds right. Yeah, you were wearing a beanie and a sweatshirt. There's my photogenic memory coming in. I was super privileged. My first one was the 100th New York Fit. Oh, uh-huh. like, I, I, like, I sat down and Peter Willis sat next to me. I was like, oh, my gosh. This is a <laughs> God a himself. <laughs> yeah, that was a ton of fun. My first New York Fit devs was right after the quote-unquote Hong Kong agreement. Ross Janowski was explaining SegWit for the first time. I have uh, notes in one, one of my journals back home. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you've uh, you've inspired some Zoomers to take a journal too. I know uh, Jackie; he takes like a daily journal now, talking about Bitcoin. Really? Yeah, no, it is cool. I haven't read. Well, I, the Bend is somewhat of a journal, but um, the ones I used to work right back in there are more personal. I need to get back on. I haven't read my journal in like four months. It's, uh, but I do highly recommend it. It is a cool, like little, like going back like 2014, 2015 when I was writing, like and like every 
third post that had the price of Bitcoin. I was like, holy shit. What, like, what would you, uh, in, in po- you know, now that you're here in 2021, what would you have to say about uh, 2014 and 2015? Marty is like, wow, he was insightful or stupid or like. He should have been stacking more sad. He should have <laughs> had a, he should have been, <laughs> he should have took a second job. <laughs> <laughs> Buy more. <laughs> yeah. Sell your blood for plasma. Yeah. No, it was uh, a... I'm very happy with my, my journey through my 20s, but I was unemployed for a good while. And I did quit very uh, good paying jobs for very bad paying jobs. Um, but I wouldn't take anything back. Yeah, you're doing well now, it seems. Yeah. I'm down here hanging with you too, so... You're talking to two losers like us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Really are off the path. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, this has been a fascinating conversation. As always, thank you for the work you're doing. I'm very excited about DLCs. Again, and I say it often. I think people are sleeping on DLCs. I think they're going to be huge um, in the work that you guys are putting in, the base level work that's going to be integral for this technology succeeding decades from now. Um, and it does not go underappreciated here at TFTC. So I want to thank you guys. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully we got more customer-facing stuff coming in the second half of 2021. That, so. that, was, uh, that was a look that you just got bent. Well, yeah. there's a lot of work for me in there, too. So yeah, That's a lot of what I've been doing this week because uh, HODL thrust it upon us. But, yeah, it's coming. I made some pretty stuff today, I think. Yeah, I like pretty stuff. All right, gentlemen. I'll, um, I'm going to kick you the hell out of my Airbnb, and I'll see you at BitDest tomorrow. Hell Sounds yeah, good. man. All right. Peace and love, freaks.